0: our Lord and our God we firmly believe that you are here that you see us that you hear us we adore you with profound reverence we ask your pardon for our sins grace to make this time of prayer fruitful my friends I promise we will be done before the first pitch at 837 go Nats Um, I can tell you I'm feeling a little uh, vulnerable Right now, more so than normal. You know, I've been recently giving. Well, I've been talking a lot about myself. I think uh, talk about my spiritual journey, two talks about my vocation story, two talks about a very personal pilgrimage I did in the footsteps of Saint Trez, But I'm, I'm really feeling vulnerable uh, right now. Um, you know, those were vulnerable talks, I suppose. But in this one, is vulnerable, I'm a little more exposed. I feel because. I'm going to speak about something, I'll be honest, I haven't really quite figured out myself yet. um, And that is Christian poverty. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? You know, St. Anthony of the Desert has, for many decades, really resonated with me. He has resonated with me, I am the rich young man, or I was (laughs) anyhow, no longer young or rich. Uh, If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. He heard those words, and he literally sold everything and moved to the desert. I felt a little tug, my friends, to uh, do that. St. Francis resonates with me for similar sorts of reasons. I know I am not alone in this. We have these tugs, I know, in our hearts. We live in such a wealthy country, but we have this little whisper, perhaps, it's not going away, this little nagging little reminder that we are called to be poor in spirit. I've wanted to serve the poor my whole life. You know, I was stressing about this talk, and Father Don said, you do have a a heart for the poor. Just speak from the heart. But it's really a lot, and and thank you, Father, uh, but it's really more than that. I do have a heart for the poor. From the very beginning, I went to the Christian Appalachian Project, and I was just really moved by these people they were a lot happier than I had all these things I suppose uh, I, I mean I didn't grow up in a wealthy family by any means but I didn't ever want for stuff they had never left the county lived in a trailer park they had the most beautiful view I'd ever seen in West Virginia uh, but they had never left the county I would traveled all over Europe just a kid Uh, But somehow they had more joy than I did. I was a big brother for more than 10 years, two different boys that had, again, not a lot of stuff. but They had a lot more joy than I did for some reason. At Notre Dame, I worked with the uh, mentally and physically handicapped kids that uh, had so much joy and so little reason from the uh, aspect of the world. Of course, you know my trip to Peru. These people had literally nothing. They lived on sand, uh, dirt floors. They had bamboo huts that they lived in. They had televisions in the United States sent them, but they had no power. But they were filled with joy because they were men and women of faith. Everyone knows about my buddy Russell. And I, almost two years ago, in the middle of winter, he walked into our church and changed my priesthood because he was more detached than me. He's sleeping outside. He carries everything. It's all his possessions on his back in his backpack. And when he found a little place to store his stuff, his food for the week or whatever it was, his few items that he owned, when we allowed him to store some of that here, he gave his backpack away. That, my friends, is detachment. This young kid has taught me a lot. I could never do that because I've seen uh, what this comfort creep has done in my own life. The world is very clever. You know I am a pretty simple guy. I don't need the fancy foods. I, um, you know, I don't really need much. I like Bud Light. <laughs> uh, I like Bud Light. I like Pizza Hut. But you know I see how this comfort creep has kind of worked in my life in the past. I went from Bud Light and now I like Scotch. And it started with Glenfinich and stuff and and then all of a sudden, it was planned 12, and then 14, then 18, and it goes to Oban. Now I'm drinking Balvenie every once in a while. I spoil myself. Comfort creep. Now I can't just have pizza. I have to go to Poupetel. You know the story. My first car was a Cavalier. It was very nice, five-speed. I enjoyed that Cavalier, but before you knew it, I needed upgrades. the Z24 Cavalier. None of you were born when that was around, but anyway. Before you knew it, I had to have the BMW. 328i, I loved that car. Leather seats, Montreal blue. Uh, Five-speed, I did love that car, but before you know it, I was eyeing the 7 Series. This is how the world works. And then before you know it, my two-bedroom apartment, it's just one person, why do I need two bedrooms? But I was living in a very comfortable luxury apartment, and now I needed a house. Not just a house, you couldn't have just a condo or a little rancher. No, I had to have a luxury (laughs) townhome. Why did I need all this? This is how it works, my friends. And they call it a town home because it's luxury. Not a townhouse. Town home. It had all the all the stuff anyway. I had a flip phone for so many years. And two February's ago, a good friend of mine got me to buy an iPhone. I couldn't get the low-level iPhone 6 or something. I had to get the 10. iPhone X, this is how it works. Do you see the pattern, my friends? And so let's uh, well, let's go and help me grow in holiness. Let's help us all by meditating on the Beatitudes, or at least that first one. The Lord begins this three-chapter sermon on the Mount by saying, well, uh, Matthew tells us, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I do think, my friends, that it's uh, important to note that he saw the crowds and no doubt he had compassion upon them. As he has compassion, he's looking upon us right now from that very monstrance, he's having compassion on all of us. It's also important to note that he went up the mountain. You know, the first time I went to the Holy Land, I went with, um, I'll say it, I went with McLean Bible and they went down the mountain. (laughs) It was so interesting. The pastor there wanted to show how the Lord used the natural elements to carry his voice from the Sea of Galilee up the mountain to the people. But it's very clear, isn't it? He went up the mountain. The Lord didn't need to use the wind to carry his voice, he's got himself. And he, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, he taught them. This is not a movement away from the crowd. This was a movement up the mountain, symbolic movement. He is the absolute teacher. Jesus, the absolute teacher. He assumes his authoritative position between heaven and earth. He is the only mediator. He is our mediator, Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. He is the new Moses. Moses went up the mountain. He went up Mount Sinai. He brought down to the people the Ten Commandments. They were not allowed to even touch the mountain. But he went up the mountain. The Lord gave him the Ten Commandments, and he brought them to the people. But Jesus went up the Mount of Beatitudes, this beautiful mountain that overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples came with him. He sat down ex cathedra if you will, on his throne, his throne, the earth, he is a king of the earth, and there is a certain hierarchy of intimacy we see here in this first sentence, Jesus is the locus, he's the locus of God's presence, he is God himself, then his disciples, and in that closest circle around him, and then there's an anonymous crowd, the anonymous crowd that these disciples and all of us are called to minister to the 10 commandments the condemnation of sin the beatitude an invitation to love they are so complementary the comp- uh, complementary these commandments and the beatitudes they go so well together the commandments could not save they routinely fail to do so we fail to follow the commandments so God entered into his creation he took on our nature he took on our brokenness and he invites His creation invites you and me, his greatest creation. The creation wasn't very good until he made us. He invites us into his inner life so that we can become human. We can recognize actually who we already are. I love this quote from Benedict when he speaks of the homily. He says one of his primary purposes is to remind us who we are. Because we have forgotten We've forgotten who we are. And this great sermon on the mound does that same thing. Jesus is trying to tell us who we are. He's trying to tell us that we are his greatest creation. You know, the English translation is blessed, and that's not wrong. It's uh, from the Greek makarios. It's often translated, of course, as happy, but we have to be careful to not recognize this as some emotional response. This is not about emotion. It's not about euphoria. God wants us to be happy. But his his will is for us to be eternally happy. Blessed, of course, is closer to a good translation God looks with good will and approval upon uh, the lives of those that are blessed uh, because they are poor in spirit. But it is not the knowledge that God is pleased that makes uh, us blessed. And so perhaps the best uh, intended meaning is the word "fortunate." Fortunate are uh, well, fortunate are those who are poor in spirit. They possess a good that many desire but cannot obtain. This good is an objective reality as opposed to what we wish we had or were. We may not be ecstatic over our current condition, yet we recognize that we are fortunate. Because we are men and women of faith. The Lord is telling us that we are in a desirable state. And he consecrates that state. He consecrates a certain attitude, a state of life that, frankly, the world hates. That the world scorns. That the world avoids. You know, the Greeks, uh, for the Greeks, the only, only the gods were blessed. Only the gods were considered to be fortunate ones. Because only they were immortal. And hence, they were free of sadness of the mortal life, which always ends in death. But in Christ, through grace, things are different for us, are they not? Because Jesus is declaring for those person, persons who uh, least resemble the Greek gods, those who embrace their suffering, those who embrace their mortality, those who make suffering and mortality their road to God, Jesus is saying that the most divine road on earth is the path of the cross. To pick up our cross, not our comfortable blanket, because this is the way of love. And so the least privileged in the eyes of the world are precisely those who have the greatest possibility of using their emptiness using their emptiness, their weakness, in a way that is meant to induce God to communicate his own life and strength to us. These, my friends, are the fortunate. We are, please God, the fortunate. Those who live, those who practice the Beatitudes, are imitators of God. We're more perfectly in his image and likeness. We're invited, these poor mortals, to be like God here and now in the world, to live on the other side of sin, to truly become the children of God, uh, to live in that life of the Spirit, if you will, to be more human, to be more who we are in God's eyes. Jesus invites us in the Beatitudes uh, to travel the road that he himself has already traveled. He's taken on our suffering already. He's traveled this road before us. It is important to note that the Beatitudes are found not just here in Matthew chapter 5, but throughout the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament and the Psalms are filled with them. Those who walk in the way of the Lord, Psalm 1. Those who trust in God, Psalm 16. Those who meditate upon his word, Psalm 29. Those who receive forgiveness for sin, Psalm 32. And those who fear the Lord, Psalm 112. All these are called blessed. The Psalms are filled with them. The Old Testament is filled with them. There's 37 Beatitudes found in the New Testament, 17 from Jesus' mouth himself in the Gospels. They express the fundamental change in life that faith in Jesus demands. You know, the Sunday readings have really been talking about this, that uh, our faith requires a response, that the discipleship path is a difficult one, but is one that's filled with love and mercy. It's filled with grace. Our life demands a response. They're at the heart, these beatitudes, of his preaching and the fulfillment of the promises made to the chosen people. Ordered not merely to the possession of a territory, the promised land, but to the kingdom of heaven itself. That first and last beatitude speak of inheriting the kingdom of heaven. In Christ, various circumstances that are, if you will, accursed, Uh, By the world, poverty and mourning are pronounced blessed. Those who have these conditions are considered fortunate. Christ's Beatitudes, uh, well, they look to the end of time. They're eschatological in nature. Yet we're also something that we can claim in the here and now. Uh, Well, they're dimly uh, veiled in a certain sense, of course. But the Beatitudes raise our hope toward heaven. They raise our hope towards the new promised land by tracing a path that leads through the trials that await a disciple to carry our cross. Blessed fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, I have, I have this three-volume set of this great uh, uh, commentary on uh, the Gospel of Matthew by Erasmo Leva, Leva Merikakis. I hope he finishes it it's only that there's fourth volume. he's not actually quite done, but he, he says that this is, uh, this can be translated how fortunate those who beg for their life's very breath those who Fortunate for, who beg for their life's very breath. He sees that the, we recognize that they're unable to breathe without the Lord. They recognize that they did not will themselves into existence. This is what it means to be poor in spirit. And they, are completely, they recognize their complete dependence upon God for continual existence. And are driven, by the way, to begin each day with him. To literally breathe in his spirit. To be poor in spirit are those who recognize their need for God, their need for God's grace. They know of their need for him, and it is about a disposition of their heart more than it is about things or a lack of things. It's about being unattached to the world, to find security in the Lord, to rely on his love and his mercy rather than stuff in your own merits. Spiritually poor can also be economically poor, but we know that there are uh, people that are economically poor that are not spiritually poor. They're attached to their few items. But those who have little or no material wealth, though, are often those who are rich in faith. I found that to be true in Russell. I found that to be true in Peru. Yet sometimes, and we know this, wealth, all of our stuff, can get in the way. It helps us believe that we don't need God. I got this. And we only turn to him when we need something. We wrongly believe that wealth gives us power, that in a certain sense, wealth grants us freedom. That could not be more wrong. Wealth distracts. (coughs) Wealth does corrupt. Of course, there are many exceptions of very rich people that are able to live lives of great virtue, but uh, you know, generally speaking, it's difficult. The Lord even tells us, I have a camel. You know, it's difficult. Jesus loves the poor. He loves economically poor, but he also loves the rich. He loves all of us. But he did, in a particular way, share in the poverty of the poor. In fact, he became poor, God himself, Became flesh. That is the definition in a certain sense of poverty. The poor in spirit have complete dependence upon the Lord. They are humble. They are humble by an act of their will. They recognize their sins and they trust in God more than they trust in themselves, more than they trust in their things. You know, Pope Francis says one cannot be blessed, one cannot be blessed if one is not. Converted. That's why I think that story of the rich young man is so important for us. Who knows what happened to this rich young man in the, in the end? But he did desire holiness, he desired to be converted at some level. And he asked, uh, Teacher, what good must I do to gain eternal life? We'll follow the commandments. And then he asked which ones. He was not all in. St. Therese, as you know, I've been speaking of this. She says love does not calculate, but he was. This rich young man was doing a calculation. How many do I have to follow? What's the minimum uh, requirement to attain eternal life? There is no calculation in the spiritual journey. There's There's no calculation in love. But he did list, uh, Jesus did, some of the commandments. And he says he has observed all these. What still do I lack? He recognized himself to be lacking. He recognized himself at some level to not be spiritually poor. If you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. I've been struggling to do that my whole life is to uh, become truly... Uh, po- po- impoverished even though I have stuff it's, uh, it's uh, in a certain sense I'm attached to it and then uh, he turned to his disciples and man, man I say to you it will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven again I say to you it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for human beings, this is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. So we have to turn to him and ask for this grace. And my friends, the Gospels are filled with this challenge, this challenge to true and everlasting conversion. The Lord challenges us in regards to all these uh, desire to be uh, more uh, spiritually poor, more detached from our material possessions. He praised that widow who gave literally her last two coins, the widow's mites. She gave those into the treasury, true poverty of spirit. You know, he sent the apostles all on mission, and he told them, take nothing for the journey. Neither walking stick, nor sack, nor food, nor money. And let no one take a second tunic. Rely completely on me. Rely on my spirit. You know, even the prodigal son we were meditating on a few Sundays ago, who was far from the father when he had all his stuff, when he was consumed by love of money, he squandered his very being. Only then did he recognize that he was loved. Only after he had nothing, no material possessions, did he discover that love itself, everything, was waiting for me. Had been looking to the horizon since he left. Looking to the horizon, willing his son's return. You know, even Peter, I was meditating on this earlier today, in his threefold denial. He, He denied the Lord three times. And the Lord invited him to say yes three times, do you love me? And we, can, we know, if we, if we see the, reg, or the proper translation, do you love me unconditionally? You know I love you as a friend. Do you love me more than these things, your friends, perhaps your equipment? You know I love you as a friend. And then Jesus the third time asked him, do you love me as a friend? You can almost hear Peter sigh. You know, Laura, that's what I got. <laughs> I love you as a friend. I want to love you unconditionally, but I am broken. I am giving you all I got right now. I want to be able to love you more, more and unconditionally. I want to be able to love you like you uh, ultimately love me on the cross. But this is what I got right now. Please multiply this love in me. This is the prayer that we bring to the cross. How do we grow in poverty of spirit? We look to the example of Jesus. That is a total self-gift. This is to be truly poor in spirit, is to completely give ourselves over to the Father's will, even amongst suffering. You know, we look to the sacraments, humble acts. You know, the sacraments fool our senses. The blessed sacrament that's here right before us, right now, does not look like who he is. Yet we come and we kneel before him. We come in humble confidence coming with all of our needs, but all of our love, and we humbly put ourselves before him, recognizing that we need to be poor. And of course, we speak to him in generous prayer. As I often say, if we want to begin and to develop a good prayer life, we ought to begin by giving him the most difficult time of the day. And I think for the vast majority of us, that's the morning. And I don't mean in our morning commute, but if we want to have intimacy, and that's the only way to become truly poor in spirit, we have to give him our best. And that is before. We, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I, I think for the vast majority of us, that would be the best time to give him, is to be generous in the morning. And in that prayer, we ought to be asking to be humble. We ought to be asking to be poor. You know, you really want to grow in humility. Pray with... Uh, uh, Pray with Job chapter 38. Pray with Job chapter 38. He's went for two uh, chapters, if you will, of of all this stuff, and not just stuff, but his own family members being killed and all this terrible suffering, and then he went for 36 chapters, kind of uh, asking the why questions that we often ask, and then finally the Lord says, sit down. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Who is this who darkens counsel with words of ignorance? Gird up your loins now like a man. I will question you, and you tell me the answers. Where were you when I founded the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its size? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line for it? Into what were its pedestals sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut within doors the sea when it burst forth from the womb? You see my point. Go and read chapter 38 of of, uh, Job. It's a great reminder uh, to help us grow in humility. And then we can all practice poverty. Poverty. We can all practice poverty what would be the most difficult thing to give away you know this has been easier for me this year normally I would say Notre Dame football would be easy or would be the hard part but I had a couple of weddings they kind of made it impossible for me to watch the game of course Dan Snyder has made watching the Redskins very easy to uh give up anyway what would be difficult for us to give away we should be praying about that and trying to see how we can practice poverty. You want to be truly poor, then we ought to be tithing. The Bible speaks of 10%. I'm not saying that's your number, but we ought to be generous. Acts of uh, charity, well, it's our duty to give to the poor. It's our duty. It only becomes an act of charity when it costs us something. I think tithing would be costing us something for sure. You want to grow in a poverty of spirit, serve the poor. Give up the most precious thing that you have, and that is your time. That is your Saturday morning, perhaps. When you want to sleep in, you give that to the poor. You want to grow in poverty of spirit, look to the end and nurture that relationship with the Lord. What is the reward? It says, "Where well, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. they end up possessing it in a certain sense. We do when we become truly poor. You know, I love this gospel. We meditated on, was it last Sunday, maybe Sunday, two Sundays ago, where it had the poor man Lazarus and Abraham together in heaven and that rich man. It's just so interesting to meditate on that. The rich man had all this stuff, Just the scraps that fell to the ground, this uh, poor man Lazarus would have uh, just literally uh, consumed up. He didn't even have that. But he didn't want to go where Lazarus was. He wanted to be where he was at. He just wanted his suffering to be taken away. Do we want the kingdom of heaven? That is a question only can be answered by entering into true relationship with the Lord. This rich man didn't want to go to heaven. He just wanted his suffering to be taken away. My friends, do we want to be poor in spirit? That'll be answered only by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And may God be praised. Amen.